My name is Edward Name. I'm the general manager of Amazon FSX. And I'm really excited to be here today talking to you about how you can use S3 with FSX for Lustre to make your compute workloads run faster and run cheaper. Um, we launched FSX for Lustre uh, a year ago at reInvent. Can't believe it's already been a year. But I'm really excited to talk to you about uh, what the service looks like today. And we're sharing a few announcements about things that are coming soon as well. So in this session, we're going to talk first about how exactly FSx for Luster is designed to make your compute workloads run faster and cheaper on AWS. We'll then share details about how to use S3 and FSx together to process data sets. We'll talk about some options that you have for how to use FSx for Luster during a data processing workload. And based on your workload's requirements, how you can think about things like availability and some options we give around availability. We'll then share some details on performance and TCO. And then finally, uh, Daryl has some fun demos that, that will show FSx uh, for Lustre in, in action. And by the way, with me today are uh, Cheyenne Saha, who is a principal product manager for FSx, and Daryl Osborne, who's a solutions architect for our file services. And you'll see them in a little bit. Okay, so without further ado, let's get started. And I'll start by explaining how FSx for Lustre makes your compute workloads run faster and cheaper on AWS. And let me begin by taking a step back and talking about why do customers run a really wide spectrum of compute workloads on AWS? Well, there are really five benefits you can think about that the AWS cloud provides you. So first, when you're running compute workloads, you get a lot of, you get elasticity. So virtually unlimited infrastructure enabling scaling and agility that you just can't get on premises. Functionality. So we have a rich set of instance types, automation frameworks, orchestration mechanisms, and networking and visualization solutions. Agility. So because you can spin up a compute cluster process and spin down, you can fail fast, you can iterate quickly, and it really helps you reduce your time to results. We provide global infrastructure, so you can have compute clusters in any of our regions or many of our regions across the world, um, and that helps you to collaborate with teams across the world where you maybe want compute and storage co-located with where people are. And it's cost optimized, so you pay for only what you use. So what does the typical compute workload on AWS look like? Well, commonly, customers will ingest their, their input data sets to S3 over time. And they put it on S3 because S3 is highly durable, it's low cost, has a variety of ways to bring your data onto it, and it provides a lot of tools and other services for doing stuff with your data. So people really use S3 as kind of a data lake or long-term data repository with data getting ingested into it over time. And then when customers want to run a workload against that data, like maybe they want to run a machine learning training job or they want to do a video transcoding job, in some way they will make that data available to their compute instances. They'll process the data and then they'll either checkpoint intermediate results back to S3 or they'll uh, write their final results back to S3 at the end. Then they'll spin down their cluster and uh, they'll be done with the, with the workload. So how do you make that data available to, uh, from S3 to your compute instances? There's three common ways. So the first is to copy your data sets to EC2 instance storage or to local EBS volumes that are attached to EC2 instances. And so your data will really uh, appear to your application as local files. A second way is to copy data sets to a self-managed, high-performance shared file system. And so you can have multiple instances that all have access to the same data. And again, the data will, will act like it's local to those instances from, from an, an application perspective. And then finally, you can process data sets directly on Amazon S3. So directly using gets and puts from your application that's running on EC2. So let me talk about each of those in turn. So with data processing with, with EBS or with local instance storage, the way it works is usually at the start of the workload, 
you'll copy your data to instance local storage or to EBS volumes attached to each instance. So you'll figure out how to place the data based on which instances need access to the data, to a particular piece of data. And it's a workable solution that a, a lot of people use, um, but it has some drawbacks. So first, you need to plan your active working set. So you might have a, a, a bucket that has a petabyte or two petabytes of data. You need to know which portion of that data set is going to be relevant for a particular portion of the workload that you're going to, uh, to be running. Or you have to update your application to, to be aware of uh, this notion of the S3 bucket and to pull data into local instance storage as being accessed. So you have to really be thinking about your active works, working set and, be th and planning around it. Um, second is you need to shard your data set. So you, you really you need to spread your data across instances or volumes, and each instance only can access the data that's on the instance local storage or the EBS volumes that are attached to that instance. So uh, that's uh, what we call sharding, and um, that's, that's something you need to do in this setup. And then um, the third drawback is data, du or is data duplication. Um, and really what that means is you might end up uh, placing duplicate data across instances or volumes, um, depending on which instances need access to which pieces of the data. So you might have multiple instances that need access to the same files, for example. So now you're storing the files redundantly across, uh, across different nodes. So with self-managed file system, you avoid uh, some, of those, uh, some of those drawbacks. It's a shared file system, so it means all of the instances have access to the data set. But the downsides there are shared file systems, especially high-performance ones, tend to be really complex to manage and to maintain. Um, there's a lot of kind of performance tuning and availability tuning that you need to, to do and be aware of, often on an ongoing basis. And you still have to plan your active working set. You still need to know which data needs to move from your bucket to that file system for a particular compute workload that you're running. And with both of those solutions, you also need to track your changes and write your results back to S3. So you need to track which data has changed or which files have been created. And then you need to write application or script, scripting logic to periodically write changes and results back to S3. Um, and then you can also have your application uh, directly work with data on S3. And so what that means is your application actually gets and puts data using the S3 API, um, and you don't copy any of that data to local disk. So it really stays in memory, and you're just using gets and puts. And that's good for applications that are throughput-oriented but, but not latency-sensitive. Um, can use an object interface rather than a file or POSIX interface. So um, your application should be good with things like not leveraging POSIX's consistency model, not depending on locks on data, et cetera. Um, and it's also good uh, when you don't need to access, repeatedly access the same objects. Because if you're repeatedly, repeatedly getting, doing gets or puts on the same object, you're paying request costs and those can add up. And FSx for Lustre is designed for these data pr processing workflows. Um, it's an alternative to the three uh, scenarios that I talked about. And what FSx for Lustre is, is it's a really high performance file system. It's a shared POSIX file system. Um, and it's, it's designed to be able to deliver really high levels of throughput, really low latencies to tens, hundreds, thousands of instances concurrently. And it sits between your application and S3 if you want it to. And so what does that really mean? So you can have your full data set in S3, and when you want to process, when you, run a, when, you, when you want to run a compute job against that data, you can spin up a Lustre file system, you link that Lustre file system to your S3 bucket, and once you've linked it, and you go into your file system, you mount it from an instance, and you take a look at the files and directories there, you actually see files and directories that correspond to the objects in your bucket. So as soon as you've created the file system, you've linked it, all of, those objects, all, all of those objects appear as files and directories in your file system. But the data hasn't been moved over yet. Um, so the first time that you then access a particular file, FSx for Lustre goes and fetches that object on S3, puts it in as a file on the file system, and delivers it to the, to the application. So it's, that's what we call lazy loading the data. Um, and then 
FSX for Lustre gives you commands to be able to uh, write changes back to S3 or write new files back to S3. And FSX for Lustre also supports cloud bursting. So lots of folks want to burst to the cloud. And, and what that means in this context is they want to spin up lots of compute clusters in the cloud to run compute heavy jobs and then spin down the compute when needed. And for lots of these scenarios, the data is on-prem. But for the compute workload, the, the, the data needs to be stored local to the compute uh, cluster that you've created. And so um, what you can do in this scenario, you can mount a Lustre file system from on-premises using Direct Connect or VPN. Um, and you can move your data temporarily onto the Lustre file system so it's co-located with your compute cluster and process the data and shuffle results back. So ultimately, FSx for Lustre's capabilities make it faster and cheaper to process your data sets. So what do I mean by fast? Well, with, what you don't want is your compute to be bottlenecked, your compute I.O. to be bottlenecked by your storage. And so FSx for Lustre is designed so that doesn't happen. So it gives you hundreds of gigabytes per second of throughput, gives you sub-millisecond and very consistent latencies. So at its core, it's, it's a performance-focused file system. It offers tight integration with S3, as we talked about, so that reduces the overhead of orchestrating the movement back and forth between S3 and your local storage. Um, it gives you uh, several options for configuring FSx for Lustre to be cost-optimized based on how long you expect to be running your compute workload. And we'll be talking a little bit more about that and what that means in terms of some of the decisions you can make about um, the availability profile of the file system. And all of this culminates in lower TCO. You're not bottlenecking your compute. There's no overhead in moving data back and forth between S3 and, and your compute cluster. And you're right-sizing the type of deployment based on your data processing duration and needs. And you can spin up a file system and keep it around just for the duration of the workload and then tear it down. And I'm really excited about how many types of workloads FSx for Lustre is a core part of. So high-performance computing, machine learning, media transcoding and rendering, big data analytics, electronic design automation, financial modeling, oil and gas seismic processing, and autonomous systems training are all examples of workloads that we're seeing on FSx for Lustre. And it's accessible from uh, all of the popular Linux distributions. And we've had a really busy year as an engineering team um, with feature and region launches. And I won't go through uh, all of what's on here, but I do want to talk about um, how excited I am that this week we are uh, announcing that coming soon are uh, two new capabilities for FSx for Lustre. So the first capability is what we're calling self-healing file systems. And with FSx for Lustre today, Lustre acts as a scratch file system. So it's really meant for these workloads where you spin up, you process for a couple hours, couple days, spin down. We don't replicate the, the data. Um, we don't swap file servers if there's a failure. So it's a scratch file system. What we've seen a lot of customers doing is, is running these file systems basically in perpetuity and wanting them to be around for long periods of time. So coming soon will be what we call self-healing file systems. And these are ones where we replicate the data, we do file server replacements, so you can think of them as high availability file systems. Um, and then the second thing that we're announcing is uh, the ability to sync POSIX metadata, so things like POSIX permissions between your file system and S3. And we'll talk a bit more about each of those. Um, one thing that Andy announced in his keynote yesterday and that we launched yesterday is uh, support on the LA local zone. And so FSx for Luster and our other FSx offering, FSx for Windows, are available as of yesterday on the new uh, LA local zone. So I'm now going to turn it over to Cheyenne, who will begin by sharing uh, more details on the, the tight integration between FSx and S3. Thank you. So uh, please nod your head if you can hear me. Good. So before, uh, my name is Shayan Shah, by the way. I'm a principal product manager at uh, the Amazon FSx uh, uh, service. Uh, before we 
we dive deep into the tight integration between Amazon uh, FSx for Luster and Amazon S3. Let's actually examine the user experience. So when you create um, an Amazon FSx for Luster file system, you specify an S3 bucket. On accessing the file system, you will see all the objects that are in S3 as files and folders in your, uh, in your FSx for Luster file system. The files are, at that point of time, the file data is actually still not there in the, in the Luster, FSx for Luster file system. It's actually moved in real time when you access it. So that this is a process which is commonly referred to as lazy loading. And I'll go into it more details in, in one of the next slides. And at any point of time, you can use uh, a command to write back results to Amazon S3. So that's kind of your user experience. So let's look at uh, you know, the tight integration now. Amazon S3 integration is, uh, is highly performance optimized for fast data and, and metadata movement between Luster, Amazon FSx for Luster and S3. The way we do this is, uh, so each Amazon FSx for Luster is composed of a cluster of file servers each with one or more disks. The data movement to and from S3 actually is parallelized across all these servers that is hosting your data. And we use multi-part upload and download uh, to move big files faster. So it it's all happens behind the scenes, uh, but it's really fast. Now let's look at uh, the lazy loading example. Say, on your left-hand side, you have your S3 bucket in the center you actually have created a FSx for Luster file system that's linked to this S3 bucket. As you can see at creation, when you access the file system for the first time, it's, uh, you will see all the, all the objects that are in S3 bucket in the, in the Amazon for, uh, sorry, FSx for Luster file system. When you want to access or say access comes in for file1.txt from one of the clients, you know, the first time that access happens, it actually goes to S3, fetches that object, and puts it in the file system, and then the, the read or the write or whatever access it is is serviced from that, uh, you know, uh, from FSx for Luster file system. So that's great. The first time you brought it in, the next time you want to again, you know, access file1.txt and, uh, you know, a read or a write is issued from another client. It now gets served out directly from the FSx for Luster file system. It no longer goes back to S3. So, it's kind of the lazy loading technique. As long as your file system is around, that file1.txt is, is going to get served out from the FSx for Luster file system. The key advantage of this is if you have hundreds of instances that are starting to access Luster, all that data is already there in the file system. You need no need to go, go back to S3 for every access. And you'll see more and more advantages of this as I go along with the presentation. So, so with that, uh, Let's, uh, uh, there are a bunch of uh, commands in FSx for Luster that helps you to move data around between S3 and, and FSx for Luster. Uh, these are, you know, HSM Archive is one of them, which helps you to copy files from Amazon S3 to FSx for Luster. Um, actually, yeah, um, no, I think... Uh, uh, it's, it's the other way. The HSM archive is uh, actually copying files from FSx, FSx for Luster to Amazon S3. Uh, HSM release uh, is, uh, it frees up disk space associated with files once, once archived. And HSM restore, it brings back file data to FSx for Luster from Amazon S3. It's also done, um, you know, this, uh, this bringing back is also done automatically when accessing a file for the first time. Uh, to to make all of these things easier, um, you know, um, you, you ask for an API that you can use um, to make this management easier so that, you know, you can also invoke a CLI, uh, you know, Amazon CLI, AWS CLI, or from the console. We are very excited or super excited to announce the data repository task API with exports changes, you know, uh, to S3. Uh, this API simplifies exporting new and changed files and directories. Uh, to Amazon S3. It also synchronizes file permissions uh, and other metadata with S3. So, so that's what we are kind of, uh, we, we, we pre-announced. Pre uh, let's take a quick look at how it works. Uh, so when you create a new file system, a Luster file system that's linked to an S3 bucket, 
the files in FSx for Luster inherit the POSIX permission stored in S3. After some time, as you process, process data, you, you make changes to the files, the directories, uh, or make changes to the, to the metadata of the file or directories. Um, you know, they, they get changed in Luster. You can call the data repository ta uh, task API to export all of these changes back to S3. And all of the changes that you made in the FSx for Luster file system goes back to S3. And when you pull all of these things down, things come back to S3. So as you can see, this API provides a real convenient way to sync your metadata and data across S3 and FSx. And if you're wondering how we are mapping the metadata between uh, you know, FSx for Luster and S3, it's actually very consistent with what AWS Data Sync does and AWS File Gateway does. So here's the, here's the, the mapping, and uh, you can look over it when the slides become available. Uh, there's another interesting function uh, that uh, you know, FSx for Luster offers. This is uh, using the release, HSM release API. So when you have data sets uh, you, you know, that you think are no longer active, you, know, you have worked on it, you have written results back to S3, you have archived it, you have a copy in S3. What you can do is invoke HSM release to release all the file data that's associated with, uh, with, that, with those files. Now, what this command actually does is, it does release the file data, but it still keeps the metadata, the metadata information in S3, sorry, in FSx for Luster. So next time, when there is an access for a file um, in FSx for Luster, you will go and bring it back to S3. And it all happens transparent to you. You don't actually, uh, it happens on the back end, and you just access the file. So, so say you have a process where you know, you're active data set is active for, say, 30 days. On the 31st day, you can decide to archive your stuff, uh, you know, all your data to, to S3. Then you can release all of those data, but the metadata will still be there. So on the, say, on the 51st day, if you need some files back, you can actually get it, and it will get from S3. So it's a pretty cool uh, way, you know, uh, we can help, you know, uh, maintaining your active data sets in, uh, in Luster while your inactive data sets can go to S3. So let's look at the life cycle of a file. Now we talked about a lot of these things, you know, archive, release, restore, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the life cycle of a file, when created, uh, it has no state. When archived, it, becomes, it goes to the archive state. When you modify the file, it's dirty. It's marked as dirty in the Luster file system, but it's archived in S3. When you archive it again, it syncs up between the two, uh, the FSx for Luster file system and S3. And uh, if you do IHSM release, uh, it's, uh, uh, basically, the uh, file data associated with the file is released, but the metadata information for the file is still there. And uh, if you access the file again, the file will be brought back. You know, so so that's kind of the life cycle of the file. Uh, all of this really good tight integration, um, you know, with S3 actually helped us a lot with the Amazon uh, SageMaker integration, which we pushed out in September. Uh, it's very interesting. There are two key advantages of using uh, S3, uh, sorry, FSx for Luster with Amazon SageMaker, or using FSx for Luster in between Amazon SageMaker and Amazon S3. The first key advantage is you don't have to wait for all of your file data to get downloaded into your local file system before you can start your ML jobs. Because as you saw with the lazy loading example, as soon as the file system, FSx for Luster file system is up, it has the data. And, and as and when it's accessed, you know, data will be brought down. That's the number one benefit. The number two, even bigger benefit, is once your data is in FSx for Luster, iterative ML jobs on that can just run. You no longer need to go back to S3 and issue a request to get the data from S3, which saves you on request costs and eventually on TCO. So that's a huge advantage. So all of your data sitting in Luster, being accessed by ML jobs iteratively, as long as you need it for. After you're done with that, you can simply you know, uh, delete the file system. Um, so looking at, now in the next section, so let's look at uh, what are the various data processing options that we offer uh, for processing your data on FSx for Luster. And, uh, and before diving deep into that, let's, uh, let's do a quick uh, uh, refresher on how a parallel file system actually works, because Amazon FSx for Luster is, uh, is a fully managed version of, uh, of the Luster uh, file system. 
And in a parallel file system, you know, data is stored across multiple network file servers to maximize performance and reduce bottlenecks. So clients interface directly with the servers that are hosting a set of data. Um, servers have multiple disks, and data is striped across this. Uh, data is striped across disks and servers. So this architecture really helps to maximize performance and reduce bottlenecks. Uh, the common deployment model that we have seen customers adopt and is, uh, is kind of a best practice is you, put, uh, you store your data sets in S3 and you process them with FSx for luster uh, when needed. So you store your data set in S3, you create an FSx file system and link it to your S3 bucket. At any time, you can use a luster command to write back results to S3. When you're done, you simply delete your FSx for uh, Lustre file system. So this is a very key kind of, uh, I'll say, a, a model, uh, a very important and uh, extensively used model. So uh, FSx for Lustre uh, has uh, a couple of deployment options. The first option is what is available today, is GA today. We commonly refer to this as the scratch deployment model. Uh, it is highly optimized for shorter-term data processing, where you spin up a Lustre file system, you process data in it, and after you're done, you spin it down and you delete it. When we talked to our customers, we found out that while they loved this option, they wanted another one, uh, an option where they would want to keep the file system around for a longer period of time, uh, for an extended period of time, or indefinitely, uh, for that matter. Uh, and basically wanted uh, a longer-term data processing option. So today we are excited to pre-announce uh, self-filling Lustre. It's coming soon. It's actually optimized for longer-term uh, processing of data. The file servers that compose the self-filling Lustre file system are highly available, and data is replicated. Note that in both options, the FSx control plane is actually also, uh, is always HA. So you don't have to worry about that. So let's look at the behavior uh, of a data server in a scratch file system, uh, you know, or rather the behavior of a scratch file system when one of the file servers in that become available. So when that happens, your workload can still continue if designed for this scenario. By that, what I mean is you still have data in other file, serv uh, in other file servers that are composing your Lustre file system. So provided you have uh, architected your workload to, to finish, to, com uh, to complete with that data, then it can still complete. However, clients trying to access data on the unavailable server will get an immediate I.O. error. So let's look at uh, what an FS, uh, FSx for uh, Lustre scratch file system is de designed for in terms of availability. So the probability of no servers permanently losing availability or durability within a day for a 10 terabyte file system is 99.9%, for a 50 terabyte file system is 99.4%, and a 100 terabyte file system is 98.8%. Likewise, the probability of no servers permanently losing availability or durability within a week for a 10 terabyte file system is 98.9%, for a 50 terabyte file system is 95.9%, and for a 100 terabyte file system is 92.1%. Contrasting this with the behavior of a self-filling file system. So if a file server becomes available on a self-filling file system, it is replaced automatically. Client requests for data on that server will transparently retry and will eventually succeed when the replacement has happened. Data volumes are replicated independently from the file servers to which they are attached. And each data volume is actually designed for five lines of durability. Let's now deep dive into the performance as aspects of Lustre. I'll start with a, with a customer here. Because uh, you know, I can stand here and say all day long that Lustre is highly performant, but it's best said when a customer actually agrees. In this case, our customer is Conductor Technologies. Uh, they, they do VFX rendering. And adopting a, after adopting FSx for Lustre, they were able to speed up their workloads by 4x. So that's like a huge, huge endorsement for us that Luster really works uh, when it comes to performance. So 
Amazon FSx for Luster uh, provides high-end scalable performance. By that, what I mean is uh, it provides hundreds of gigabytes of throughput, millions of IOPS, and consistent sub-millisecond latencies. Why consistent sub-millisecond latencies? This is because, again, go, going back to the parallel file system architecture, your client is directly talking to the data servers, and the storage media that we use is SSD-based. That helps. It, uh, FSx for Luster also uh, supports concurrent access from hundreds and thousands of uh, clients, which is also pretty useful when you have to scale your compute clusters to that many, you know. So for, if you're wondering what you expect, what you can expect for per, per client throughput, it's about the EC2 instance network throughput. So that's, that's kind of what you can expect. So in terms of scratch file system performance, um, each terabyte of storage provisioned provides 200 MB per second of baseline throughput and up to 2x of burst throughput. And what's important in this table to realize is your performance, file system performance, actually scales uh, with the file system size. So, so it's almost linear. It's basically linear. So now look, let's look at some of the uh, tips and techniques of how you would optimize I.O. performance on FSS for Luster. Now, I'll just make a broad statement here that we'll go over some of these tips and tricks, but for the vast majority of workloads, your workload should work really well out of the box, uh, and there should not be no, a lot of need to do a lot of tuning. But let's go through these things anyway. Um, one of the things uh, that in Luster we talked about is striping. And uh, you, you can uh, strive files to optimize I.O. performance when concurrent access is common. More on this later. Uh, I'll do that uh, in a minute. Uh, the other thing is average I.O. size. So if you have I.O. size, um, in Luster what happens is, you know, for every file operation, there's, you know, uh, client goes to server, right? So, um, so there's, a, there's a latency associated with that. And if you have bigger I.O. sizes, that latency is amortized over a bigger, num uh, bigger uh, I.O. size, and so you benefit from that. So it it's, it's generally gets better when you have a bigger I.O. size. And in terms of EC2 client selection, you know, just make sure you, you select EC2 instances, instant types as clients with enough memory, CPU, and bandwidth so that you can take advantage of what FSx4 Luster has to offer. Now let's go into uh, what is strifing and why use it. Now again, uh, for vast majority of workloads, you don't need to do any of this, but let's go uh, quickly take a look at it. So the term striping uh, refers to sharding large files into small fragments and storing them you know, across disks in, um, in multiple servers. Why would you do that is because it helps you parallelize access uh, to the same file, uh, driving higher throughput. So that's kind of the reason uh, striping is done. So by default, in FSx for Luster, each file is stored in one disk. Striping can be set per file or by directory, and all files in a directory inherits its striping parameters. So if you had a file that was 7 MB in size, there are a couple of parameters you would be able to set uh, uh, per Luster file system or based on you know, whether it's directory or that, which, is, which are basically stripe count and stripe sizes. So if you had a stripe count of three and a stripe size of one MB, uh, a seven MB file would be striped like that, you know, as shown in the uh, picture. The stripe count essentially boils down to the number of disks that you want the file to be sharded across. So that's basically it. So, so you can specify stripe count and stripe size using a luster command called LFS set stripe. Striping can be set per directory or per file, uh, as we said, and all files in a directory inherit its, its, uh, its striping parameters. There's another uh, thing you can do. Uh, we have a CloudWatch max metric, which you can monitor. And if it is showing uh, an average throughput of 20, 240 MB per second or above, your workload may not be balance properly. At that point, you could use striping. This is all documented in the Luster docs and why that is so. Uh, there's another parameter called imported file chunk size. So, so if you're downloading data from S3, you have a S3 integrated Luster file system. 
you can actually set that parameter to a dominant file size. So say if you have one type of file size that's super dominant, you can set that uh, uh, parameter to the dominant file size divided by the number of disks. So, so that's kind of how to do it. Again, a reminder, in most cases, you don't have to do it, probably. So now let's look at the total cost of uh, ownership advantages of uh, FSX for Luster. Again, I'll start with a customer uh, reference here. Um, so T-Mobile, uh, our customer, uh, basically was able to uh, uh, reduce their TCO by 83%. Uh, and their storage savings by 67% uh, by adopting Luster for SaaS grid. This amounted to a total of $1.5 million uh, of, uh, of annual savings for T-Mobile. And uh, this is, uh, you know, this is a, a great uh, endorsement from T-Mobile that it really kind of, uh, Luster helped save them a lot of money. And not only did they save a lot of money, their workloads actually ran faster, so which is a bonus. So Amazon FSx for Luster helps you, um, you know, it, with lowering the TCO in a in a multitude of ways. So so and it's kind of architected to to make that happen. Um, so one of the things with Amazon FSx for Luster is, you know, you process only a portion of your data set at one time. So, so you don't need to have all of your data set in this uh, Amazon FSx for Luster file system, um, you know, all the time. So you just bring down the data that you need, you process it, you push it back up, you're done, you know. So that's one advantage. Um, you will use S3 uh, as your long-term data store or some other option which are Design S3 is, for example, designed for 11 nines of durability and is low cost. So that's uh, that's a big advantage. You don't need the entire data set uh, in Luster. Uh, the data processing options that Amazon for Luster, uh, FSx for Luster actually provides, which are, you know, the the two we discussed, uh, Scratch and self-filling, are also kind of optimized to help with TCO. How so? Uh, the Scratch um, option, as you saw, you spin up, you you process data, you spin down. Um, so you only use it when you need it. The self-filling luster option also, um, you know, you can, you, can, you can invoke the release command to release a whole bunch of data that you do not need, although the metadata will be there, to free up space so that you can bring in active data sets there. In addition to that, self-filling lusters can also be deleted when you don't need them anymore for a, a long amount of time after you have archived all your data to S3. So it's both the options are really out there to, to save on TCO costs. And last but not the least, um, once you have your data uh, in FSx for Luster, hundreds and thousands of instances can start accessing it. And they don't need to, they don't need to go back to S3 to bring the data every time. Because every time you go to S3, there is a request cost for that. And that can add up pretty significantly, as we'll show in our TCO example. So let's look at a TCO example uh, that, uh, that kind of compares two scenarios, right? The first one, uh, you know, not the first one, the, the example starts with a uh, you know, data set of 250 terabytes. Um, you process about one-tenth of it per day, say 25 terabytes per day, uh, and you process it for about 10 hours a day uh, with five gigabyte per second of throughput. If you used, um, Amazon S3 directly for this processing with about 20 instances. That is, you did all of your processing on S3 from these instances uh, with no intermediate storage in between. That would be, you know, your total cost of ownership on a monthly basis, so about $86,550. This includes, obviously, the storage cost and the request costs. Now, if you put FSx for Luster in between your compute instances, and S3, you get that reduced drastically to about only 14,810 per month. Uh, this includes obviously the storage cost for S3, the Amazon FSx for Luster for active data that you need to run for 10 hours a day, and the S3 request costs, they're all listed. So, so it's, it's a pretty drastic difference between the two. Uh, so Amazon FSx for, for FSx for Luster for these workflows really work, you know, to help you lower your TCO. Now let's look at availability. So 
FSX is now available in 11 regions across the world, with more regions coming soon, so stay tuned for that update. With that, uh, you have, if you have more interested in learn, uh, you have interest in learning more about FSX for Luster, uh, some of the sessions here uh, will uh, help you kind of uh, um, understand more about it. So please make a note and, and try to attend some of these if you can. Uh, with that, I will uh, hand over the mic to Daryl, who will run you uh, through some really cool demos. So, so Daryl has worked really hard to make this happen. So come, Daryl. Great. Excellent. Thanks. Thank you. Perfect. Good afternoon. Well, uh, I'm really excited to show you FSX for Luster in action. So this is my uh, demo environment. I have five EC2 instances, and I have two FSX for Luster file systems. Uh, all of the instances have both of these file systems mounted. One of the file systems is optionally associated with a Nest3 bucket. One of those buckets is the NASA NEX bucket. That is a, an open data source or open data set bucket that's hosted on AWS that NASA supports, uh, as well as um, another bucket that I own that's in my account, and that's called the reInvent 2019 STG 307. So let me go ahead and get this environment set up really quick. Make sure, sure that we're connected. All right, so let me go ahead and show you what I have mounted on one of these EC2 instances. So here we see we have both file systems mounted. One's mounted as MNT FSX NASA NEX, and the other one MNT FSX reInvent 2019 SDG 307. Now both of these, again, are associated with two different buckets, but both are mounted to the same EC2 instance. We're first going to work with the uh, reInvent 2019 STG 307 bucket and file system. So if I do a simple uh, DF against this, this uh, file system, I can see that I have uh, basically 84 OSTs. OSTs within Luster is an object storage target. It really ha it's uh, how Luster uh, does parallel data storage and access for a file system. So I have 84 OSTs associated with this file system. And at the very top, we can see that we have one MDT. MDT is a metadata target. That's where our metadata is stored for my file system. I'm using the default stripe set, which is set as a count of one. So whenever I create a new file, it's going to go ahead and put it on one of those OSTs. That's where it's going to be stored. So this is, the, uh, uh, this is basically the root of my file system. I have a couple of files that were brought in as a, as a part of the uh, connection or the association with the S3 bucket. Then I've also created a couple of directories that we're going to be interacting with as a part of this demo. So the first thing I want to do is generate uh, some, some throughput. I want to create a file. I'll use a simple dd command. And I'm going to write it uh, to this directory. Up top, we have nload running. nload is a, um, a real-time uh, network monitoring uh, application. So we can see how much throughput we're actually driving this EC2 instance. So we finished creating that file. And we did that about 4.7 seconds. If we do a simple LL against this file system, we can see that there, that new file system it has been created. It's uh, 5 gigs in size. It's the one DD-I, uh, et cetera. What I want to do now is really show you that this file system is associated with, oh, with, uh, with an S3 bucket. And I'll let you know, this is the S3 bucket that the file system is, is associated with. What we want to do is we want to take a look at the archive state, the HSM state of this, uh, this file. So we can see it's a new file. It really does have an archive state because the file today, right now, only exists in FSX for Luster. It doesn't exist in S3 yet. 
we could take a look at this file when we move it over to S3 using an LFS HSM archive command. So this command is actually going to archive this file from FSX for Lester over to S3. Now that I've kicked that off, let's go ahead and take a look at a DF of the file system. We can see which OST this file actually was stored on. If we scroll up, There we go. Uh, do you see it there? There it is. So this is 4.9 gigs. This is where that 5 gig file was stored. So it's sitting on OST 23. There we go. So I also want to take a look at the state now that we've archived that. And we can see the state has changed. Now it says exists, archived, and I have an archive ID. So now we know that this file has been archived to S3. We can go ahead and take a look at that S3 bucket, do a refresh, and we should see a new object in there. And here it is. So here's that object, that 5 gig file, has already been ingested into, uh, into the S3 bucket associated with our file system. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and release that file. What releasing does, it releases the data stored by that file, but the file, the metadata, all that information is still there in the file system. So I can continue to do an LS. It's going to look like the file is there, but the data is going to be released. Uh, we do that so that, uh, or you can do that, so you can allow other data from other objects to be imported and used in your file system. Now if we do a simple LFSDF on our file system, we can see that that 4 gig or that 5 gig file has now been released from the file system. I have another test that I want to do, and this is uh, using DD again. I'm going to have a number, a number of threads writing into a different directory, incron directory. So if you're familiar with incron or inotify, I actually set up an incron to monitor a directory called incron in this example. And any file system operation that is doing a, a create or a modify will trigger a command that will execute the HSM archived for that file. So automatically, any file that I write or modify in this directory will be automatically archived over to S3. So we're going to go ahead and take a look at, at that in action. So I've got 12 threads. You see the, the amount of throughput that I'm achieving. Um, this is a C5N9XL. Who knows the network performance of a C5N9XL instance? Anyone? You can raise your hand. 50 gigabits per second. So it's a 50 gigabits per second instance, which is roughly 6 gigabytes a second. So we're able to achieve 6 gigabytes per second from this one EC2 instance to our FSX for Lustre file system. Let's go ahead and take a look at, um, do a simple incron. We'll take a look at it. We'll take a look at these files. There are the 12 files that were created. If we do an LFSDFH against this file system, if we scroll up, we can actually see where these files are stored. So we have one on OST 83. Uh, we have another one on 77. As we scroll up, we can see them sort of scattered throughout the entire file system. So we're going to have 12 OSTs. Each one of those OSTs is going to have one of these files. Now if we go over to our S3 bucket, if we do a refresh, we should see a new prefix, which is incron. That's the, uh, the directory that I, that I um, created these files in. And then we should have 12 5 gig files in there. So we see our directory here, or our prefix within an object store. And now we see all of the files. So now we just live migrated or created 60 gigabytes of files on FSX for Lustre. And because they were created within a directory that we were monitoring and an HSM archive was issued for each of those files, they now reside and were archived over to S3 all automatically. Let's go ahead and 
release all of, this all of these files. And what this is going to do is going to free up my space again so I can use it for other demos. And now we're back to only the, um, basically no data for any of the files um, within our file system, because all the files have now been released. We're going to do another test. This is using IOR. Some of you may be more familiar with IOR. Uh, so what I'm going to do here is uh, generate a little more load. We should see that, yeah, we can achieve about 6 gigabytes per second using IOR as well. So we'll create a couple of files here. Now what we want to do is how much throughput can this file system actually get? How much uh, can we drive this file system? So I have another command, and I have the other four EC2 instances. Now it's really the same IOR command, but I'm going to run these in parallel uh, on all four instances accessing the same file system. So we'll come back here. So all of these have the same file system mounted. These are three or four separate instances. Um, all of them are mounted identical. So if I issue this command on all four instances, we now should see that each of them are getting six gigabytes per second throughput. So we're going to come back to this after a few minutes and see how much throughput we were able to drive from these four instances all hitting the same file system. So let's move on and play a little bit with the, the NASA NEX um, file system in Bucket. So we'll go back and take a look at this file system again. So we see that we have both file systems mounted. We're going to use the, the NASA NEX. Um, we will do a simple DF against this file system. We'll see it's a little smaller. This is about a 32 terabyte file system. We only have 27 OSTs. But again, we see that we don't have any data loaded. So the total size is 128 um, megabytes of basically directory structure and, and metadata in our, in our file system. But no data is actually loaded yet. We could take a look at the directory structure. So if you take a look at that bucket, these are all the um, all the different prefixes for all the objects are now going to be created as directories and subdirectories along with the objects in our file system. But again, no data is yet stored in our Lustre file system. If we take a look at this one directory, we see that we have um, 68 gigabytes of data in this directory. Um, 775 directories and 14, 416 files. So uh, we're going to play a little with this, uh, with this directory um, and some of the files in it. So I've got a variable of a, a file and a path. I'm going to go ahead and just throw that into a variable. I'm going to use this as a part of my, uh, my other scripts. So I'm going to do a simple ls. And we see that uh, this file is 128. Uh, 200, sorry, 218 megabytes in size. We have all the metadata associated with that object now in our FSX for Lustre file system. We'll do another, uh, we'll do another um, uh, HSM state against that, uh, against that file, and we see that it's released, exists, and archived, which really means that the data doesn't exist yet. It's released from the file system, so the data isn't in the file system, but it does exist in our archive, which is S3. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and read this file for the first time. I'm going to read it into memory. So I want you to take a look at nload, which is the, the upper window. And I want you to look at the, uh, the real-time network performance um, of the file system, really of this, of this EC2 instance. So I kicked it off, and we're waiting a few seconds. Right at the end, we saw some network traffic. Well, what happened? The client issued a read operation against FSX. FSX said, hey, I don't have that object yet. Let me go ahead and get it from S3. There's added latency with that get operation. 
once FSX gets it, it then delivers it to the client. So we see that network um, traffic right at the very end once FSX gets the object and delivers it to, to the client. If I issue the same command, what's going to happen? It's going to be very fast. So some of you may see that and say, OK, you're cheating. Well, I am cheating because that file is where? That file is local. It's cached now. It's cached on that EC2 instance. So what we need to do, we need to drop our cache. And when we read it again, it's going to be now delivered from the FSX for Lester file system. So we dropped our cache. Let's go ahead and read it again. Now, take a look at the end load um, chart up above. Notice it was pretty much right away. We saw that network traffic. So FSX didn't have to go back to S3. It was already in FSX, and it just delivered. So instead of taking three, four seconds to get that object back to the client, we did that in uh, 567 milliseconds. If we take a look at the HSM state of that file, we see that now it exists and it uh, is archived. So it's not released because now it exists in the file system. We can see where that file has been loaded. So if we scroll up, here's that 218 meg file. It's stored on OST 12. We can go ahead and release it. Take a look at the DF again, and now we see that that file has been released. It's no longer stored in the file system. The data of that file is no longer stored in the file system. But we can still do a simple ls against that file. And the file looks like it's still there. And it is still there, except the data hasn't been loaded yet. Let's just make sure that we have everything cleaned up so we have no data stored in our file system. We're going to keep going. So I did a tree on this one directory. This is the 68 gigabyte directory, and it has 416 files. So what we want to do here is uh, I'm going to go ahead and run a command to see what state of the, are all of these files in. So these 416 files are released. So we know that the data doesn't exist yet in the FSX file system. So let's go ahead and read, basically do a batch load of all of these files into the FSX file system from S3. So we'll periodically go ahead and take a look at the state of all of these files, the HSM state. We'll see 400, or 146 have already been loaded, 214. 268. So here, just within a few seconds, all 14 or 416 files have been now loaded into the FSX file system. So just within, what, 10, 15 seconds, 68 gigabytes of data was loaded from S3 to FSX with a single command. And if we take a look at a DF of the file system, we see that all 68 gigs have been loaded. If we do a cat on one of those files, Again, that file has already been loaded to the FSX for Lester file system, so it's going to be read directly from FSX. Let's go ahead and release all of this data. Now let's hop back to our other test when we were driving throughput against the four instances to my, um, my other file system. Uh, something that we launched here recently within the FSX console is the ability to monitor your file system. So if we take a look at the file system that we were testing, we see that the throughput capacity is 20 gigabytes per second. If we take a look at the monitoring tab, the monitoring tab now will show us um, some CloudWatch uh, performance metrics. So if we expand the total throughput, we could take a look at the test that we just ran. And we see peak performance, we were able to get 25 gigabytes per second throughput from those four instances. So we were able to drive the throughput actually even a little beyond the throughput, the baseline throughput of this file system for this test.
we are out of time, but I do want to show you one, one command. So there is a, um, this command right here really is a progressive file layout, which you can do in, in Luster, where you can have um, a stripe set in a directory that is progressive. So smaller files will only be striped on one OST. Little larger files, you could tell it to stripe against maybe four OSTs. And then for very large files, you can stripe that against all OSTs for your file system. So in this example, files 256 megs or smaller will be, um, will be stored on one OST. 16 will be stored on, 16 gigs will be stored on four, and anything above that will actually be stored on all the OSTs of the file system. So a very easy command. You can execute against the directory, um, and this is a, basically creates a progressive file layout. Well, I do want to thank everyone for attending today's session. Uh, there is uh, a lot more information online about training and certification, definitely for storage. Uh, please fill out your evaluations, and thanks again for coming.